How many of you guys have ever heard the phrase kingdom of God? How many of you have ever used the phrase kingdom of God? How many of you know what the kingdom of God is? All right. So what we're going to do is kind of meander through an arc over the entire year. As we're reading the Bible this year in our microchurches, you can feel free to join one of the plans uh, with the microchurch near you. You can find all that at our website. But as we're reading through the Bible, we're also going to be talking about this theme of the kingdom of God. My hope and my prayer is that as we see what the kingdom of God is in the scriptures more and more and dive more deeply into that, that it would help us understand God, understand each other, and to live kingdom lives more and more. Today, we're just going to simply introduce this topic, introduce kind of where we're going, sort of set some ground rules, kind of frame the conversation that's going to happen over the course of this year. I am going to be drawing through the course of this year um, from some books written by a friend of mine, Tom Jones, a trilogy called The Kingdom of God. If you want to get those, please check them out. Um, Especially, I would recommend the most recent volume, the third volume called Learn War No More. Check out Matthew chapter 4. The Kingdom of God. I figured a way to introduce this topic would be jump right into Jesus, jump right into the beginning of the New Testament and the Gospels. Matthew 4, we're just going to flip through or swipe through the Bible quickly here, the first five books of the New Testament. So you guys ready to do some swiping or some flipping with your fingers? Verse 17, he says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The time has come, he replied. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Luke chapter 4, in verse 43. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. Because that is why I was sent. In John chapter 3, verse 5. Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again, born of water and of spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. After Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them. And gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. In all five of these books, at the very beginning of the New Testament, the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, sometimes known as the gospel evangelists, in the beginning of each of their accounts, early on in their gospel narrative, They have Jesus talking about what? The kingdom of God. And then Luke, the writer of Acts, his second part of his gospel, Luke-Acts is really one work. In the beginning of Acts, after Jesus has died and raised from the dead, what's Jesus talking about? The kingdom of God. So in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, throughout Jesus' ministry, 
And after Jesus dies and raises from the dead, the kingdom of God is the most prominent topic that Jesus talks about. You'll see in the book of Matthew, he prefers the kingdom of heaven because of his Jewish audience. They didn't really want to say the name God as much, and so he would use the phrase kingdom of heaven a bit more prolifically, the only gospel writer to do so. But when you read kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, they're synonymous. They represent the same exact thing. So let's ask, what is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? Go ahead and tell me, what, what comes to your mind? How would you describe, how would you define the kingdom of God? And I'll repeat what you say for the audio. Yes, sir. The new earth that God is slowly bringing over time. Yes. The way God wants life down here on earth. Yes, sir. Say that again. Okay. Did you say folks the first time? Love it. All right. The folks that God reigns over is the kingdom. All right. What else? What else? Yes. The rule over what? Sorry, did I miss that? Okay. So the reign and rule of God over you personally, individually in your life, as well as collectively. What else? What is the kingdom of God? How would you describe it? Purpose, goal, okay? Like an aim, a calling, okay? She said, a bunch of the verses you read said it was good news. <laughs> I love that. Not like that is good news to me, but, but, but you said that it said, yes, the kingdom of God is good news. Although that does depend, obviously. Yes. It infers that there has to be a king. Okay, so the kingdom of God means by necessity there is a king. Somebody is in charge. Yes. Okay, so the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of the king. Okay. A like-minded body of believers serving Jesus. What else? One or two more. What else comes to mind? How would you describe or define the kingdom of God? Anything else come to your mind? Yes. Okay, so something about heaven, the ultimate kingdom of God. All right, we're going to check. Uh, yes, last one. Okay, so the kingdom of God is very valuable, and you notice that Jesus never really defines the kingdom of God, but rather uses story, illustration, and narrative in order to describe what it's like, but never what it is. It's also an astute observation. But it makes it more difficult for us to define what the kingdom of God is, right? I'm going to use this illustration, and you guys are going to be privy to my amazing art skills, okay? So just stand by. We have God space, and then we have people space. This is the space that we know really well. It's called the world where sin and death reign, where we can't do what we really want to do, our good intentions are never quite enough, where global pandemics kill hundreds of thousands of people. We know this space really, really well. This space is a bit more mysterious. This is God's space. We'll call it heaven, you know, throne of God, eternal life. These adjectives and ways of describing God's space that's incredibly mysterious to us. The New Testament would say that God is spirit. So this is some sort of spirit space, but kind of also embodied too. It's very strange, right? And then you have this weird middle spot as the video depicted. This middle spot where 
heaven and the world overlap, it's a progression. It's a journey, right? Through the Bible narrative, you have this middle spot, right? This middle place where these ideas overlap. It's a progression where God gives a certain people the ability to overlap with him, to have a relationship with him. And the story of the Bible is, how did those two spaces become separate in the first place? For those of you that have been reading the Bible plan this year, starting in Genesis 1, we see in the first couple of pages that people represented by Adam and Eve, that we desire to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which represents this idea that we don't want God to rule over us when it comes to good and evil. We want to rule ourselves when it comes to good and evil. We want to define those things for ourselves. And God says, interestingly, in mercy, I'm not going to let you exist like that forever. So what does he cut off man and woman from? The tree of life. Because God does not want to have his creation eternally living in a state where they define good and evil. Why? Because he's just some prick up there in the sky? No, because he knows that it's bad for us. It's harmful for us. When we define good and evil, death and destruction and bitterness happen. What's the first sin that happens in that narrative when God casts Adam and Eve out? Do you guys remember? What's the first thing? Cain. Spilling the blood of his brother. I find that very interesting. When man decides to define good and evil for himself, what happens? We start killing each other. And God says, I'm not going to let you exist like that eternally. I will bring that to an end. We'll bring that to an end in your life personally by limiting your life, but then I will also limit it eternally by bringing reconciliation of these two worlds to be one co-union once more, that a garden would re-exist. It takes us all the way to the story of Jesus before we can see that really start to come to culmination. But that place in the middle, that's the kingdom of God. That includes people and all of creation. It includes the animals and the plants the earth and the stars and the universe, and it includes all things created that we cannot see or perceive right now. That's the kingdom of God. Contrary to sometimes popular belief, the kingdom of God is not the church. The church is one piece of that larger overlap. They're not synonymous when you make them synonymous, by the way, things get really weird and really unhealthy. So the kingdom of God really is this overlap where God rules and reigns. And for us now, we get to choose whether we go into that space or not. God doesn't force his overlap on anyone. We choose, but it's where God rules and reigns. So if we are going to be in the kingdom of God, in this place where God's space and our space overlap, we have to choose to embrace and accept God's rule and reign 
in our life, which means what? There's no negotiating. The overlap is just that. It is an overlap. It's not a mixture or osmosis. We don't get to come to God's space and make a negotiation with him on how he is going to rule and reign us. We either embrace his rule and reign or we do not. And if you do not embrace God's rule and reign, you are not in the kingdom of God. You are in a different kingdom. So the gospel is this religious term that means good news. And the gospel that Jesus proclaimed, as was so astutely pointed out earlier, was about what? The kingdom of God. It was not about you flying over from one space to the other after you die. That was not the good news to Jesus. But for many of us today, that is the good news that we have been told. That if you believe in Jesus, you'll get to go to heaven when you die. That is not the gospel. Did you know that? That's not the gospel. The good news to Jesus that he proclaimed was that the kingdom of God was at hand, and therefore we should do what? Repent. It actually had very little to do with going to heaven when we die. This, unfortunately, is really kind of a distortion of the biblical gospel. Instead, the gospel, the good news that the Bible talks about, that Jesus spoke of, is that the kingdom of God is here now. And therefore, our lives should be transformed by the king. And that we should live a life in that kingdom, under that king, on earth, here, right now, and also in the age to come. Thank you. I will do my best. So as we embark upon this Kingdom of God series, I want to set like a few ground rules, a few roadmaps, a few signs that we need to pay attention to, some introductory matters. The first is you don't have to understand everything about the Kingdom of God in order to live under the reign of the King. Hallelujah, amen, right? In fact, the only thing that you and I have to understand in order to be in the kingdom of God is that he is king. And that in his kingdom, he requires our complete and holistic submission and allegiance to him. That's it. However, this also could take time. As your understanding and familiarity with the scriptures, along with mine, as they deepen, as we continue to seek and learn, it's going to take time. And that's okay. For some of you, perhaps many, do you remember when you were first really introduced to studying the Bible, reading the Bible for yourself, really digging into what does it say and what does it mean and talking about it with others and others maybe pointing you in the right direction and showing you how to navigate through the Bible. Do you remember the eagerness that you had at that time in your life? Do you remember how your world got rocked by something that the Bible said? How maybe it was completely different than what you thought it said or had been taught that it said? Do you remember that sense of shock, defensiveness perhaps, 
That sense of, oh no, I, I might have gotten this wrong. Do you remember that sense of angst, fear, confusion, longing, and zeal? Don't let that experience be a one-time thing. If that is a one-time thing, you have stopped searching the scriptures. As we continue to wrestle with this book for the rest of our lives, that experience should become normative. We should never approach the Bible feeling like, oh, I know what this says. Guess what? We don't. You never get to the end of what this thing means. Why? Because it is divine. It is communicating things that are well beyond our grasp and understanding because God's ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts so much greater than ours. And as we do this, don't be afraid. It's going to be scary sometimes. I think it's appropriate that as we learn more about the kingdom of God, as we live life more in the kingdom of God, it's going to be scary. It's going to challenge us. It's going to seem weird and maybe even radical to others at times. But don't be afraid. Jesus promises that he's with us. As we journey with him, as we journey together as a community, as we go deeper into the kingdom of God and kingdom living, if things get scary for you, it doesn't mean anything is necessarily wrong. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say over the course of this year, something's going to be scary. Something's going to be jarring. Something is going to give you some more of those moments as it has done for me to go, what? That doesn't mean something's wrong. So don't be afraid and do what you know. We can all fall prey to this trap where we want to wait until our knowledge is complete and we feel like we've arrived at the destination before we implement or do anything. That would be a mistake. Why? Because there is no arrival. You don't ever get to the end of the ways of God. You don't ever get to the end of the king and his kingdom. So do what you know to do and do it now. And do it together with others. One of the dangers that I think we have, especially in our culture, is the hyper-individualism of our context. America is built on individualism, and not just America. That, that is a quickly and widely spreading philosophy and ethos. But what it can do for us as people in the kingdom is it can unintendedly drive us toward the Bible and toward our religious views and even practices to, alone, isolated, in a silo. This is great danger. God's word has always meant to be communicated, expressed, and processed in community. This is part of his design to help any one of us from getting way out in left field. So journey with others as we're engaging in the kingdom of God. Read the scriptures with others in your microchurch, with other spiritual relationships, in a community of faith family. And as we go through this process, remember that God's grace is paramount. None of this 
is possible without God's grace and mercy. We decided to eat from the tree of good and evil collectively and individually. And guess what God did? He showed grace. He showed mercy. He said, I'm going to cut you off from living like that eternally. And I'm going to make a way for things to be restored and reconciled again. So as we maybe experience dissonance or we experience shock or frustration or dismay, as we experience awe and wonder and joy, remember God's grace and that his grace is what makes any of this possible and praise him for it. A couple of discussion prompts that I want to give you. Over the next few weeks, with the relationships around you, I want to encourage you to have some discussions. Write down for yourself a brief statement on what the kingdom of God means to you. Not just how would you define it or describe it, what does it mean to you? How does it impact you? And the second thing is, how would you say that the idea of the kingdom of God has affected your thinking and the way that you live, your decision-making thus far? Hopefully, these can serve as some discussion prompts as we engage in this um, series together, in this trajectory this year. I'm really excited. I have been incredibly challenged. It has um, been toilsome and very emotional for me. Those that are close have seen that and experienced that. Thank you for helping me through these things. But I do feel perhaps a greater passion and determination, a resolve, than I have in a long time, maybe ever. That is not meant to scare you, because <laughs> it scares me sometimes, but more to simply communicate that I think God is so amazing and he wants us and desires for us to be reconciled to him, to live in that kingdom space right now and already, but not yet overlap, right? But for those of us that believe in Jesus know that the complete and full overlap is going to happen. Here's what I'm feeling so resolved about. The complete and full overlap won't happen if you don't engage in that already but not yet overlap right now. And in order for us to do that, we've got to take God at his word. What does he say it means for him to rule and reign in our lives? Not culture, not our own opinions, not political persuasions, not systems and logic of man but God, as he defines his rule and authority. Let's pray together. 